Hi everyone. Welcome to A Different Story, the podcast. My name is Nazli Desi, and this podcast was created to encourage multidimensional conversation around special educational needs and disability in Egypt and beyond. Every other week, we will be speaking to working professionals, family, and community members in the MENA region with the hope that through greater awareness and education, we as a community can deconstruct the stigma and the presupposed judgments we have formed towards special needs and disability. So sit back and enjoy. Hi everyone, hope you're all doing well and staying super safe. Uh, this is the first solo episode of the podcast, so I'm quite nervous actually. I'm used to always having a guest with me and not having this entire uh, space to speak on my own completely, so I hope it goes well. But I thought it would be a good opportunity to take this as a chance to address some of the topics a lot of you actually brought to my attention through the, pl- through the platform um, and things that you wanted more clarification on. So in uh, today's episode, we'll be discussing how we can do better and be better for those with different needs. Um, It's a really important topic and a lot of you have actually reached out about it and have asked about it in different ways. So I thought uh, it would be nice to, to break things down. But in order to do this, our starting point will be to define what a specific need even is and to break down the different kinds of special educational needs and disability that exist into categories. So what is a need? Um, A need can be language-based, it can be sensory-motor, it can be cognitive, or it can be learning-based. There can also actually be times where the specific need is a mix of a bunch of different things. So you might have a child that has a language difficulty, but also has some sort of cognitive deficit, uh, which I'm going to go into detail and explain later on. But you might be wondering to yourself why it's so important to identify the need of the child. It seems quite obvious. But very simply, if you don't accurately identify what this child needs, it leads to a range of different behavioral difficulties and a lot of problems and frustration and a lot of anxiety from the child. So that's why it's absolutely fundamental that we very clearly take the time to identify what this child needs so that we don't demand too much or demand too little. So let's start with uh, language-based needs. This need typically arises when a child's language does not develop as expected. It can be caused by generally slow development or autism spectrum disorder or acquired brain damage. And this kind of need is usually characterized by the impaired production of speech sounds or delays in putting words together to form sentences or very limited vocabulary. Also, their expressive and receptive language can also be impaired, which means that they might not be able to produce certain words. That's the expressive side. So they might not be able to say or repeat words after you. And receptive language has to do with their ability to understand what you're saying and to take in a specific instruction and to carry out what it is you asked of them, for example. But it's also important to note that sometimes one channel may be better than the other in some cases. So some children might be great receptively or might be better receptively than they are expressively. And that's very normal. We see that with a lot of children that come in the center that I work in. And... 
specifically with following instructions, it's not because they want to not follow what it is you're saying or they don't want to do what is asked of them on purpose, but it's actually because they don't fully understand what's being asked of them. So now moving on to uh, sensory motor deficits, we first need to highlight what sensory and motor development is. So sensory and motor development is the process in which a child gains use of and coordination of his or her body muscles and uh, begins to experience the environment through sight, sounds, smell, taste, and hearing, so all of the senses. The challenges for these kinds of children or individuals can be difficulties with understanding or participating in the normal life environment. So it may be difficult for them to play with these kinds of children. So it may be difficult, sorry, for you to play with these kinds of children. And it can also mean that it's um, that they have hyper-responsiveness or unresponsiveness to external stimuli or sensory input like textures or smells, touch, touch sens sensations or visuals. And fine motor skills like reading can also be quite a challenge. Now with cognitive-based needs, these individuals usually have greater difficulty with mental or reasoning, ta reasoning tasks than the average person. And we usually refer to this as cognitive or developmental delay. And that has an impact on their ability to communicate on their social skills with other people and other children and on their ability to take care of themselves. This is something that we call adaptive behavior. And these are the skills that are required in life in general to be able to live independently. More specifically, though, the root causes of why these problems arise in the first place is because of the child's difficulty with either his or her memory, his or her attention, her or his problem-solving ability, and comprehension. So those are basically the building blocks of why we then see a cognitive uh, disability or an intellectual disability. Finally, with learning difficulties, which is more my <laughs> uh, comfort zone and what my background has mainly been in, learning difficulties have to do with neurological issues that affect the way we take in, store, or use information. It's very important to note that this group of people fall under having average or even above average IQ. So they don't have a cognitive disability. It's not that they have a below average IQ. They actually have average or even above average. Um, but these children instead have issues with something called language processing, which is understanding and expressing information using words. They also may have tr trouble with visual spatial processing and that's perceiving and organizing visual information that they take in that can be a picture that can be anything that they see through sight um, another thing that uh, can present as a problem is uh, visual motor processing and that's carrying out hand-eye activities so that's like cutting a piece of paper or writing in between the lines another problem which i see a lot of is something called phonological processing and that's the ability to identify and manipulate sounds. Um, there's also problems with processing speed, and that's the speed of taking in, using, and pulling out information. I also see a lot of problems in uh, children in their working memory, and that has to do with holding information in mind, and then while also reorganizing and retrieving information at the same time. So, for example, I can ask a child, 
I'll, I'll tell a child actually, I'm going to tell you a story. But before I tell you a story, I want you to remember this question because I'm going to I want you to give me the answer to this question at the end of the story. Finally, uh, learning difficulties can also present in the form of um, executive function problems. And these are the brain-based skills that allow us to carry out any task. And uh, these functions include things like planning, impulse control, flexibility, a wide range of things that actually, as we grow older, are so important in terms of study skills. Uh, so this is also an area of concern. Now, a big question, so going back to the initial topic, I know I spent some time going into the detail of the, the different needs that exist, but the big question that I keep getting from non-specialists is that they want to know how they should behave in front of individuals with, with special needs. Um, they ask whether they should speak more slowly, whether they should maybe baby them, as in do the things for them. And the question, honestly, it just comes from wanting to be there fully for these children and also to support them in the best way possible. So I love this question. I'm really glad that a lot of people have shown a lot of interest in it. But I also recognize that it's a very broad question. Maybe a question that can't really be answered ever fully, but I'm going to try and break it down as much as possible. The first thing to do is to acknowledge that not one child is ever the same. Not even two children with autistic profiles are ever the same. Every child has their own profile, and so we need to first understand their needs. If a child, for example, has a language delay, then we need to adapt our communication. If a child has sensory needs, then movement, touch, food, texture, they all become prime areas of focus. If a child is on the autism spectrum, they actually might not understand your social cues. So again, you need to adjust your communication patterns and you need to really break things down more uh, concisely and more clearly. So speaking of patterns of communication, let's take that first. The initial thing all of us really need to be doing is to speak at the child's eye level and to make sure that they've really processed what you said. That might mean repeating the question over and over again, or by making the question as simple as we can. Something else that I find super helpful is including a lot of gestures. So a lot of the time you'll find me pointing, nodding, I'll be waving my hands all over the place. Um, but that really does help children with disabilities understand the message that you're trying to send across. And having very focused zoomed in eye contact also goes a very, very long way. Now, if a child's primary area of concern is that they have fleeting attention or they struggle to maintain their focus for longer periods of time, then we need to break down steps or instructions in a very clear and very concise way. A lot of children with autism or ADHD, for example, they really benefit from having visuals in front of them. So you could do something as simple as drawing out sequences of instructions on a piece of paper for them. You've actually done a lot in terms of showing them what's coming next and in allowing them to transition more easily from one step to another with less anxiety and less frustration. Another thing that we're all capable of doing is to avoid speaking fast. I do this a lot. I find myself speaking very quickly when I'm nervous or when I feel like, I don't know, I just find that I'm a very, I can speak very fast. But also, it is a bit tricky to find a balance with speaking at a normal pace, but also not speaking to these children as if they're babies. I feel like the most important thing is that we should be feeding them the language and making it very simple to understand, but also not 
speaking down in a way where we assume they can't understand full sentences or that we assume that they can't answer or understand what we say unless we're speaking to them as if they're tiny little children. That's not what we need to be doing. Uh, now, for children who are nonverbal or have very significant speech delays, constantly providing explanations to them through talk is great. Like, I remember once I saw a mother and her son with Down syndrome um, in the supermarket in London once, and she was talking to him every step of the way. And he was just vocalizing. He doesn't... He, speech didn't come easily to him at all so she she was just guiding him and speaking to him every step of the way uh, and doing things like counting the apples um, that he was putting into bags for her she'd read the items off the list and then she'd check them off with her son um, I just thought it was so nice to see she'd say things out loud like wow those are really big watermelons but we don't need fruit anymore so let's go and talk to this lovely lady about what cheese uh, that we can get for daddy like it was just so nice it just really I feel it, was, it promoted this boy's learning indirectly and it also taught him about grocery shopping shopping along the way which is a daily life skill for a lot of people and that's something that he that can be applied to other aspects of his routine as well. So my point is, even if you come across children that don't speak, you speak and you speak for the for the both of you and go over and over and over again and use so much language, even if you sound silly, even if you sound like you're speaking to yourself, you most definitely are not. These children are very present. They take in the language, even if they're not expressing it. So it's crucial that you do it. Um, also with nonverbal children, they can often get very anxious or frustrated when they feel like you don't understand what they want. Um, this doesn't always work, but what I find helpful is to give them my hand and to actually ask them, what do you need or what can I get you? A lot of the time, they'll actually take your hand, get up and guide you to what it is they want. So my advice would be, just show them that you're here and that you understand that they're asking for something because it really calms them down. It reduces frustration 100%. Now, with play, I find that playing with these children is an incredible opportunity to not only engage with them and, and enter their world, but to also indirectly, again, expand their vocabulary by just throwing in a lot of language as you play together. So that even, again, if they don't say the words, they, they, they are hearing the new language. Playing with these children doesn't require any expertise. It doesn't require any certification, any qualification. It's the easiest thing to do. We all know how to play, to play with children. So we really should take that on as something to do when we come across <coughs> sorry, an individual with special needs. Even at the center that I work in, some of the children with Down syndrome or autism, they actually love to explore with toys or with pretend play, like pretending to feed the baby or to cook in the pretend kitchen. Uh, and by following their lead with these toys, you, you, you pretty much become their one-on-one -on -one play partner. So you challenge that, that child to come up to your world and for you to also enter that child's world. And it's, it's, it's very beneficial for, for both you and the child. The next thing we can control is adjusting our environment for these children. So some of these children children find it very overwhelming to be in very loud rooms or around a lot of people, uh, but some of them don't mind it, uh, just like some of them really don't stand bright lights while others can be around bright lights completely normally. 
Also, something important to highlight is that some of these children, they perceive sensory input in very different ways, and they may be actually unable to verbalize their discomfort. So we need to remember that behavior is communication, and we need to constantly be on the lookout for these differences and to think about what the child's behavior is communicating to us. So if you're not sure about what you're seeing, just ask the child's parents, but keep a, keep a lookout and observe and see what's happening. Another way we can be better for those with special needs is to recognize that some of them have a very significant need to constantly move. And while that may require some energy on our part and it could end up being exhausting, it's important to follow their lead. I wouldn't just allow them to run around pointlessly around the room, but to actually make it more functional for them. So for example, you could hold the child's hands and say, okay, let's do like 20 jumps together or let's go around the garden once or inside the house once before we sit down to eat or sit back with the rest of the group. You could also put on music and dance together even. Um, but this need to move can be simple and short. It's just a movement break that they constantly crave um, because it's their way of regulating themselves and calming themselves down. So we need to give them that. Finally, I just want to highlight another question that I get asked all the time, which is how do I know whether I should or not touch the child, whether I should or should not touch the child? And this question comes from people experiencing that some children with sensory processing difficulties or with autism get very frustrated or might even completely reject any sense of touch. So that person feels like they've done something wrong by touching the child and they completely start to panic. There's no right or wrong answer to this. I think that the answer to this question would be that you need to ask the parent. Some children are extremely sensitive to touch, to touch and it actually pains them, while other children are more on the numb side, and that's hyposensitive, which means that they, um, they, they actually need more sensory input in order to feel uh, things within their nervous system. I think that's mainly it, but I just want to end this episode by saying that we really need to encourage people that we know to approach children and individuals with special needs. We shouldn't worry about receiving no response from these children, and we also shouldn't overthink how we should approach these children. Just approach them the way you feel that comes naturally, the way it feels right, because some of them actually understand way more than they let off. So we shouldn't feel like we need to take it down a level or not challenge them with what we ask of them. Sometimes they do things that was always in them, but weren't pushed enough to try. And so that's our role. That's our um, responsibility. It's also our responsibility to push typically developing children to interact with special needs kids. So if you're ever in a situation surrounded by different kinds of children, encourage them to take turns doing something together or encourage them to play a game together with you supervising, of course, and facilitating the process. But that's building their social skills. And honestly, both parties learn so much from each other. So it's it would be great to do. Anyway, I'm aware that there are so many more things that can be addressed on this topic. So if any of you want more clarification, please reach out to me. Again, I just want to make it clear this topic can be addressed in so many different ways. But I try to just keep it as short and uh, concise for you guys as possible. I really hope you all enjoyed this episode. And I'd love to hear your feedback on whether you'd like things to be uh, spoken about in more detail. So please reach out to me. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, 
stay tuned for next week's guest. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to please subscribe to the podcast if you liked what you heard. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at at different story by N. As always, this podcast is your platform. It's your voice. Please reach out to me if you'd like to be involved or share your story. Have a wonderful day and stay tuned for next week's guest.